not being responsible for music in this place, and yet having the freedom I've been given to do whatever musically we would like tonight, I'm going to ask you to join me from time to time in the hymnal, and I'll ask you to do that now. Find a nearby copy of the hymnal, and find hymn number 135. Hymn number 135. I'd like to continue in worship tonight with two piano pieces by an American composer, a New Orleans-born composer, Louis Moreau Gottschalk. <coughs> Why, you may ask, are we turning to the hymnal? Hymn 135 is based on a tune named Mercy, so named by a Congregationalist minister who borrowed the tune from an original piano solo by Gottschalk and made of it this hymn tune to which we sing the words, Holy Spirit, Light Divine, hymn 135. At the time of writing this tune, Gauchok was in residence as the house pianist for a wealthy family in Cuba. And in the evenings, the matron of the household, in a time of depression and sadness, fearing that she would not see her only son prior to her death, asked Louis Moreau Gauchok, the house pianist, to play a meditative piece each evening to help soothe her to sleep. And he did so and later, after the lady's death, included the piece as a kind of benediction in all his piano concerts. Later, the tune was adapted as a hymn and the tune named Mercy. I'd like to play the original uh, piano solo version, which is called The Last Hope. It's a very, um, very 19th century, very florid, very sweet piece. If you're diabetic, you possibly should not listen. <coughs> really. After I play the original version, I would like you to join me in singing these stanzas, hymn 135. After that, I'd like to do a second solo piece by Gottschalk, which has virtually nothing to do with Sunday night or worship, but I like to play it, and I get to choose what we do tonight. It's a solo piece called the banjo, and Gottschalk was also fond of writing uh, virtuoso piano pieces imitative of other instruments, and he liked to, to uh, imitate the sound of the banjo. And one writer on his piece says it sounds like Gottschalk at a minstrel show watching a banjo picker having a particularly good day. Seems somehow appropriate for Nashville. And if images of Roy Clark and Hee Haw come into your mind, then I'm not to blame. First, the last hope, and then I'll have you sing these stanzas with me, and then the banjo.
25. Let's sing unison, everyone on the melody, on the first three stanzas. And let's sing parts on the last stanza and the amen. Would you like to stand as we sing?
you. They looked at him and saw a simple man, a carpenter with healing in his hand. They saw him calm the sea and heal a dying man. They saw but could they really understand? They could not. They could not. Though they tried, they could not. He was just a simple carpenter, but with healing in But could they really understand? They could not. And finally, upon a rugged cross, they killed the man who could not suffer At last they took what willingly he gave. He died. But could they keep him in the grave? They could not. They could not. Praise God. him what willingly he gave could they keep him 
rolled a stone before the door, as in the grave he lay. But God raised him up, our living Lord, and he made the first Lord's Day, hymn number 119.
of 1 Corinthians in the 12th chapter of the Roman letter, God has given us his instruction that the Holy Spirit bestows gifts, gifts needed by the church. Aren't you glad that he gave to a person named Max Lyle and to Mark Edwards and to Sharon Lyon and to Bob Burroughs, who's in our congregation, that wonderful gift of music and that they have taken that gift and disciplined it to be the servants of God. Thank you, Max, for sharing your gift with us. Let us pray. Our Father, you are so very good to us in that day by day and hour by hour, and yes, Lord, even moment by moment, you reach forth your hand to us and pour out blessing. We thank you for the blessing of this hour, for drawing us close to you in the disciplined instrument of your servant. Bless the reading of your word that its truth might bear fruit in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. For our brief meditation, I want us to think for just a few moments around the words found in the third chapter of the letter Paul wrote to the Roman Christians. What advantage, then, hath the Jew? Or what profit is there of circumcision? Much, every way. Chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. I admit to you at the very onset that I do violence to the basic principle of interpretation of Scripture when I would paraphrase it to include those of us who know the Savior and to ask the question Paul asked of the Roman Christians, what advantage then hath the Jew to ask this question? What advantage, then, hath the Christian? Is there any advantage in being a Christian in today's world? Do we have an edge on anybody or anything? If there is a title to what I would share tonight, it is this, The Adventure of the Christian's advantage. When we 
stop to remember the kind of advantage that we have and the kind of gifts that have been given to us. And when we then enter into those advantages, we launch forth into a life of the grandest kind of Christian adventure. It is an impossible task for us to count up all the blessings that God has given. The old song that we used to sing, count your many blessings, name them one by one, finds sentiment but an impossible task. For there are so many things that we simply take for granted, just like breathing itself. And yet the things we take for granted might indeed be some of God's choice gifts to us. What advantage do we have because we're a Christian? Well, we have a guide for our faith. I'm sure that many of you read in the paper yesterday afternoon an interview with two of our local gurus who said they felt sorry for the followers of Moses or Christ or Buddha, for we were following a dead God. But they were pointing to their living guru up in the northeast, northwest corner of our country. Not so, for my Lord is a living Lord. Jesus came forth out of death and the grave. He conquered the cross. And the words of that beautiful hymn, Max, that you played one day, one day death could not hold him any longer. And he conquered death. And he's alive. What advantage has the Christian? We have the guide, the living Lord, the guide for our faith. And we have the living book, this book, that is a map for us, that points out for us the joys of life itself. The poorest Christian with his Bible is richer than the richest heathen who might have ten million volumes in a personal library but does not know and love and live by this blessed book. What is the Christian's advantage? And what is the adventure that is ours out of that? It is that truth that we have a rule for the way that we are to live. Not a straitjacket, not tight walls that come and close us in, but rather in Christ Jesus we have been given a whole world. The horizon is not immediately in front of us. The Christian's horizon is out yonder at the far reaches of this universe. Go to any continent, and it is on that continent that we are to live our Christian adventure. Go to any city, speaking any language on the face of the earth, 
And there it is that Christian brothers and sisters know the adventure of the Christian life. The Bible is a blessed book that can be and indeed is universally to be applied. There is not a language spoken anywhere but that the Bible translated into that language will not bring the way to God to that very people. This book, regardless of who, of who a person is and where a person lives and how a person makes his living and the language of the heart that he speaks, this book translated into his language will give him a guide for living. It is no accident that the primary reason for the development of written language in this world is for the purpose of giving the Bible to people. Far more languages have come into being, written languages, from spoken only in the phonetic system then to become a simple written language. Why? so that the Word of God might be translated into the language of a people. Over and over and over again, read the journeys, the, the journals of our missionaries going into distant places where only a written, a spoken language is known. And their first task always is somehow to tune the ear to create a written language, to translate, generally starting in John, and bring the Word of God to a world. The Christian has every advantage, for the Christian revelation is the world's supreme light. We indeed do have the advantage of having our lives set apart to serve the Savior. The entire history of devotion, that which deals with the ancients and with the Jews and with sacrifice in our own Christian family, all of it has to do with life set apart, set aside, consecrated. The New Testament has an interesting word that we are to be God's peculiar people, not odd, not twitching, but peculiar in the sense of the dot with a circle completely around it, meaning that we are the man, the woman, the people of God set apart to do his work, a life set apart. Ours is the advantage of knowing that as we live our lives, we have the opportunity to live a life of loyalty. Someone wrote, and I'm not certain that I would want to debate with him, that the supreme virtue that can be developed in life is the virtue of loyalty. There's something rather ugly about even the sound of the word treason or traitor. We don't even name our cur dogs Judas because that name now carries the connotation of the disloyal.
but the Christian growing to be like Jesus, reading, studying, meditating, praying over the Word of God, trying to become day by day more like Jesus, the Christian grows in stature to be loyal. Our highest loyalty is to Jesus. Our highest loyalty is to Him who left heaven and came to earth and who died for us. Our highest loyalty. One wrote, show me your highest loyalty and I'll tell you all about yourself. I challenge you to a little bit of homework. Before you go to sleep tonight, write down in priority order as best you can the ten most important things in your life. Now don't you forget it. This is not just preacher assignment. I mean for you to do it. Write down tonight the ten most important things in your life. Prioritize your life. And then take a look at that hard list before you go to sleep and begin to mark it off in the order of the way you would turn loose of things and find out what would be the very last thing you're willing to turn loose of. Loyalty to Jesus really needs to be Number one, a life of service and a life of sacrifice. That's the advantage of the Christian life. Jesus put a whole new meaning, a whole new bigness into the word servant, into the word slave, into the word cross. A whole new concept. As he said to his disciples, you want to be somebody, then give yourself away. You want to live, then learn how to die. You want to gather in, then learn how to give it out. Jesus gave us a way to live. And it's a life of loyalty. But there are always demands in this business of Christian loyalty. The crowds had followed Jesus. At times they were very large. Thousands upon thousands came. They liked to hear him. They liked to be fed when he would take a handful of loaves and fish and pray over it and break it and bless it and out it would go and feed the multitudes. And the crowds would follow Jesus. But there came the time when the crowds left. And over in an out-of-the-way place, Jesus was talking to his disciples and he said, you've been out with the crowd and you've been listening to what they've been saying about me. What are folks saying about me? Well, they're really not quite sure, Master. They are pretty sure that you're one of the prophets. They're pretty sure that you're really somebody that's mighty important. They're not absolutely really sure who you are. 
And Jesus said, well, you've been around me for a while. Who do you think I am? And Peter said, why? Why, you're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. And the master said, that's right. Flesh and blood didn't tell you that, Peter. You've made the right confession. And it is upon that confession that I will build my body of the called out ones who will serve me across the ages. This wonderful life the Christian life, the advantage of the Christian life, with all of the adventure that it offers us, it brings to us the life of purity. There's nothing noble about being a drunk in the gutter. There's nothing glorious about making your rounds constantly in the friendships of life with the prostitutes and the harlots and the drug pushers of life. There's nothing glamorous about the boy or the girl who writhes in agony and dies with an overdose of drugs. The world would have us think so. Isn't it amazing the amount of billions of dollars available to the devil's crowd for advertising liquor and dope and all the rest of it? And it makes that life seem so glamorous, but it's not. Jesus said, Blessed are the pure, are the pure in heart, where they shall see God. Moses came down from the mountain with his face shining, for he had beheld God. And Isaiah said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. Purity, his singleness of purpose, its undivided loyalty, its true devotion. And the advantage of being a Christian is that we do not have to live our life by ourselves. In the task that God gives us to do, one by one, individually, we're not to go our way as independent Baptists. We are interdependent one upon the other, praying for each other, caring for each other, supporting each other, helping each other in every way as each one of us seeks to fulfill the role God has for us as individuals in the kingdom of God. And so we have in this advantage of the Christian life, we have a life of fellowship, fellowship with God. Sin breaks that fellowship, but God provides it again and again and again as he reminds us of his love. And the advantage of being a Christian, the advantage of being a child of God, is the advantage of living a victorious life. I told you this morning that according to the statistics, 
There will be somewhere between 5,000 and 6,000 funerals in America every single day of the year. An ordinary thing. There are so many people who live all their lives without the sense of victory. They live their work days wondering what they're working for. They spend their money and really wonder where has it gone and what has it done. They spend time without ever really nailing down a victory. But the Christian has the advantage of knowing that the life lived every day in Jesus Christ is a day of victory and that the journey that is ours is the journey that takes us to the great and the glorious that God has prepared. The greatest advantage for the Christian is that we know that in Christ Jesus our sins are gone, that in Christ Jesus the omnipotent eternal God is a personal heavenly Father. The advantage of the Christian is to know that at the end of our journey there is a place called heaven and he's inviting us to go there. The advantage of being a Christian is that our lives can be useful lives even today. It probably will not be too long before most of us will find our way to our beds for a night of rest and to prepare for a fresh tomorrow. But whatever hours remain in this Lord's day and whatever hours God is pleased to give us on the tomorrow, each of these hours can be blessed hours and useful hours. What advantage wrote Paul has the Jew? What advantage do you have as a Christian? Seize it. Grow it. Develop the advantage that is yours and translate it day by day into the grandest adventure of all. We sing hymn number 187, Just as I am, without one plea. And as we stand and sing, I invite you on behalf of this congregation to take part in that grand adventure. Follow the Master. He always leads you right. Accept Him, love Him, believe in Him, and profess Him 
and have the grand adventure. If you're a Christian and you live in our city, why don't you come with your membership? Is there any reason you shouldn't? Why don't you come tonight? We welcome you as we stand and sing. Come.